Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the Three and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the Three and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. All right, guys, we are back with a new edition of the Lay of the League. And We're we back, baby. A lot going on in the world of the NBA right now. We have entered the quarterfinal stages of the NBA in-season tournament. The quarters. <laughs> going into tonight, we had eight teams left, uh, which has not included the top three teams in the West nor the second and fourth place teams in the East. And yet I'm told that the in-season tournament is a smashing success. It's just like the college football playoff. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't have any retort for that. The whole point of having an intro tonight was to avoid you guys starting out by talking about the Huskies. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. I, I've uh, I've entered middle age now, and those courts are straining for my eyes. So I, I guess I'm just not as big of a fan as everyone else is. But uh, uh, speaking of older people griping about things, we had a recent surge of angry head coaches making headlines. Oh, and uh, not talking about Florida State head football coach. So there's your, there's your <laughs> but, uh, first. We had Greg Popovich a couple weeks back stealing the PA mic to tell a bunch of young kids to get off his lawn and stop booing quiet Leonard. Uh, Popovich later said that the booing <laughs> is indicative of how things are in our society today. Oh my God. <laughs> and be that as it may, clearly the antidote is not 75 year old men lecturing the angry mob as the booing only continued to get worse after he chided them. The best part is they've been doing it for years. That's what I read is they've been doing it ever since he left to go to Toronto. They always booed him when he came back. And obviously he played in Toronto, you know, the opposite conference. And he's basically been injured two thirds of the time. So he hasn't been made it back that many times, but it's like, did he forget? Is it just like grace died 40 years ago? The blessing. Yeah. It's just like, come on, man. He just, uh, for some reason, finally reached the point he couldn't take anymore but uh and again i have a broken record but like the you treat you treat silent reporters like garbage like you're not contributing to like <laughs> improving the uh the culture <laughs> like you're like you know this is definitely a one finger out four fingers back pop come on now <laughs> well then uh jason kidd got testy with the reporter i don't know if you guys saw this but he was uh asked a question that included a comment about how Luca and Kyrie were slow to gel together last year, didn't close out games well. Um, the reporter did note their improvement this year, but an angry kid said that people don't write enough positive things anymore. Uh, another scathing <laughs> indictment on current society. Uh, but unable to think of anything positive outside of Luca and Kyrie playing better, kid abruptly stormed out of the press conference. Uh, speaking of coaches with skeletons in their closet, uh, oh, Ime Udoka oof. had an angry run-in with LeBron James the other night. Uh, it started with uh, Ime saying things to LeBron that he's only heard from Draymond before. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he used some language that we won't repeat, but he was basically saying that LeBron was whiny, soft, and all talk. LeBron didn't appreciate the language used and essentially told Ime, not to talk to grown men like that. And there, uh, guys, there was some additional dialogue that our research team uncovered that wasn't in the audio that's been circulating. Um, <laughs> so uh, it started with LeBron asking uh, Yudoka if he's seen that Boston has the best record in the league. Um, <laughs> then, he, uh, then he asked him if he had found his integrity yet in Houston. Um, and then Yudoka told LeBron that no one cares why he went to Miami and to stop making random speeches to indulge his ego (laughs) and and then and then LeBron said that he he heard Yudoka played in the league but wondered why he never saw him on the court so (laughs) this is all unnecessary no it comes out the better for this but uh it, it happened 
Oh, and then we had we had one more coach uh, express his dismay in a press conference, which was Monty Williams. Oh, say it ain't so. <laughs> who's a <clears throat> whose high salary and low win total creates a bit of an awkward situation. Uh, but Monty, he gave his team a stern lecture about the, how they didn't have any fight in them. Uh, so I guess so that's why they paid, paid him the big bucks. But this mix of young talent and NBA journeymen are two and eighteen with the worst oh. record in the league. Oh. Uh, although general prognostication is that if this team did play hard, they might have reached three wins already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, back to LeBron. Uh, last week, he set the record for most minutes played in NBA history. Did you guys hear this? Wow. Um, when I asked our, our research team who previously held the record, the response I got was, who cares? Um, <laughs> the, re the research team is back. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what LeBron said. Uh, he said that this you know, record didn't mean much to him. So... So we're all in agreement on that. Uh, when asked for comment about LeBron's new record, Michael Jordan said, I'm still better than him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so more Carl Malone is crying, man. Come yes. on, guys. <laughs> it it uh, did crack me up that, that he got the minutes record in a game they lost by 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, last oh. again, so we're just a, a general observation here is that we are about a quarter of the way through the season. And if the season ended today, the Warriors wouldn't even make the playing games. Minnesota oh. would be number one in the West. Oh, Orlando would be number two in the East. OKC would be number two in the West. So what a difference a year makes. No one knows anything. And I'm just glad we didn't do predictions this year. Thank <laughs> you, superlatives. <laughs> we'll stick with that plan going forward uh, man so great having the lay of the league back d thank you oh uh, okay yeah happy, happy to be back like i said uh whatever to uh shift the conversation from uh last night uh, last week's friday evening football game <laughs> what no, a joy i should that say was. congratulations on that what a joy that was <laughs> But I digress. I, I actually I wanted to bring up Monty Williams because I think it's a really interesting circumstance. I think the Pistons find themselves in. I mean, I think it's it's becoming readily apparent that he was not the right hire. The record setting salary and length of contract that he received uh, being kind of hired as he exited Phoenix. But I, the question that occurred to me is like, why do these rebuilding teams sort of swing for these savior style coaches in it in a misguided attempt to sort of have an adult in the room. I mean, what is, what drives, you know, I think of the, the one that came to mind was like, was Stan Van Gundy on those magic teams mm. for a or couple of years. And oh, he was right. in that GM role. Det Detroit, Detroit. Oh, yeah, Detroit. Yeah. Excuse me. He had that well. it again, yeah. I guess, yes. Yes. but not that the magic teams were good. Um, yeah. But Stan Van in in Detroit, and you know these, and and I think it it's happened. It happens in these other times where you have this mis, mis, mismatch of timelines with these coaches that sort of have an expectation for how things should operate, but they're sort of past their the willingness to do the dirty work to kind of get it there. Whereas I think of a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder, they had sort of one of these more established coaches in Billy Donovan, and kind of saw the rebuild coming and they sort of mutually parted ways and they hired Mark Dagnall as a, as a coach to sort of grow with this, this core of young players. And I think he's turned out to be a pretty good coach. I think what, what do you guys think these franchises are looking to do when, when they lean into this, these, these coaches? I mean, I just think it's so funny. Like Monty has basically banished Jaden Ivey, like last year's number five pick in the NBA draft to the, like, you know, the DeAndre Ayton role, like, it, you know, he just doesn't, you know, I think he might be icing him out. You know, I, we always blamed Ayton, but maybe maybe Monty had his, his uh, role to play in all of it, too. Um, what do you guys make of the Pistons? Winless November? <laughs> well, I think the the idea of finding uh, a savior is uh, to lead your team out of the darkness is OK. I think for me, the issue is. um 
who is who is deciding that Monty Williams is in that category? Because uh, I mean, really, <laughs> how many are there? How many savers are there? Like in the history, there's it's a very small number. I I like Stan Van Gundy. I like Monty Williams. I think I think Monty Williams is a great a great guy. I think he overall did a good job in Phoenix. But um, I mean, I don't know. Is you know, Pat Riley is maybe one of them. Uh, Rick Pitino certainly was not one in Boston. So I don't know. We, Guys get uh, designated as the savior, but I don't think there's very few people that are really uh, up for up for that role. But um, I do. In, in addition to benching Ivy, I mean, he even he benched Sar Thompson, or has him coming off the bench, and he was actually he's looked really he looked good. Really like, good, he's a unique yeah. Player, yeah, yeah, yeah. So why it's the whole thing of not wanting to mess as well with a the fragile psyche of a young player, so. Um, so, so far it's, it's been a rough go for Monty for sure. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I think he's supplying all the things that bore so much fruit with Deandre Ayton. So obviously that <laughs> must be what they saw in him. Um, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question. First of all, Michael, cause that's actually was on my, my list was as well, was just like checking on these coaches. Cause it's definitely interesting. If you talk about Williams, Yudoka, um, uh, Quinn Snyder and we've talked a little bit about in Atlanta and just sort of like how they were selected and how they chose teams to be on and how they found their match. And I, and I think that, you know, the example is ironic because Tom Gore is the owner of the Pistons. He did the Stan Van move. That was his, he hired him and then he fired him as the coach GM. He's tried that. He tried the Troy Weaver, let's get Dwayne Casey in here, sort of do, even though Dwayne Casey got pushed out of Toronto because they wanted to win a title, didn't think he could do it. It's like, okay, he can build up a team. We'll do it that way. That, you know, that didn't, it hasn't taken. And so now they go back, sweep back to Monty. But um, so I think it's, you know, and I, and I do wonder if part of it is someone like Tom Gore, he made his money like buying and selling companies, doing deals. So it's not like, I do wonder if some of the skill set for some of these guys, um, you know, could be, it's hard. I mean, these owners, they, it's, it, they struggle and it's a, it's a hard, it's a zero sum game in terms of who performs and doesn't. But I, I, I just wonder if, if people who aren't are kind of more long-term and, or are comfortable really turning things over and can identify really good people to run their businesses. And, you know, someone who, who does deals and acquires companies like that's part of their skill set, but something seems to be missing with how he's doing things. I do wonder, I mean, question for you guys is if he had chosen Yadoka instead of Williams, um, I think Houston has more talent, but let's say they do Yadoka and instead of keep spending like $10 million on their, their fourth and fifth centers <laughs> that are under 22 years old, that they had tried to like, you know, use some of the cap room that they were developing um, to get some of the same guy type of guys that, Houston got and so I, I, mean, I don't think they're like nucleus potentially especially with not having Sangoon is like the same level but do you think if they had picked Yudoka um, would their team be better right now well it occurred to they me they'd have three or four wins so. <laughs> <laughs> they double their win total baby it's 100% improvement <laughs> you know when Derek you were you were speaking of the savior coach idea I mean I think they are few and far between. And it does feel like in the modern NBA, the one guy with the track record is Ima Yudoka. I mean, I think now having proved it, you know, you probably wouldn't say that, you know, three or four months ago, but just seeing Houston's performance and their total shift in identity here, you know, 15, 18 games into the season, you know, there there was a number of changes in that that roster but, you know, it seems like the biggest thing is that Yudoka has been able to bring sort of that identity that he's brought to now the Celtics and the Rockets. Um, I, it's hard. I'm hard. It's hard for me to believe that he wouldn't have done something similar uh, in Detroit. Now, uh, you know, you, you, the roster construction has its own challenges and, and there's a variety of things going there. But it just it, it feels like Yudoka is is a guy that can kind of, you know, you know, you know, take yours and beat mine and take mine and beat yours, so to speak, that 
I, I just think it's few and far between. I mean, you see Quinn Snyder, this sort of like offensive genius, or at least purportedly, you know, languishing in Atlanta. You know, you're just curious, like what what's the deal there, right? I mean, for what you know, he was able to do in in Utah. Um, you know, despite some of their, I think, playoff challenges. You know, I think you had higher expectations for some of the stuff that that he could get going there. Uh, but I I do wonder in the NBA how much it has to do with a bit of cult of personality. I mean, not unlike college football, like you see some of these programs sort of be good year in and year out. And you hear about the sort of intensity that some of these coaches have in just the way they kind of run their programs. I think that's a very challenging thing to do with a bunch of grown men in the NBA. But if you have a coach who can kind of pull it off, uh, it, it seems like it can pay dividends, assuming it's sort of rooted in the right things. Well, don't you think, too, this uh, Yudoka jawing with LeBron and kind of taking him head on that that there is that is the kind of thing that gets a fan base kind of fired up gets, you know, I mean, part of it, if you didn't listen to that dialogue, it was like it was a little ridiculous. And I mean, there's there may be an immaturity there, but at the same time, like uh, that's uh, that says something to players like gets guys energized. They need. They need motivation at the, now, especially now that the midseason or the end season tournament is over. They need uh, they need guys to light a fire into them. So there's <laughs> a, there's something to that. Yeah, I think I think his uh, I think Yudoka's approach, where he's basically like, I'm going to instill toughness in my team. I'm going to be the tough guy who's both going to ride my own guys, but also like stand up for them. I think it resonates. I, I don't think it's a good long-term strategy. I mean, I think we saw it in the finals. Like, I don't think it works indefinitely because like it, it's one thing to be the toughest person on your team in the regular season or even early in the playoffs. But when you're playing Steph Curry in the finals and Draymond Green, and it's like, and basically like, you know, your players are relying on you to like set the tone for them. It's, you know, I'm not saying like, Tatum and Brown. I mean, Brown played really well in that finals, but I'm not saying they would like necessarily step up and have become <laughs> these like hard ass leaders if if Yudoka hadn't done it. But it's just I don't I don't think that's going to work in the in the long run. But I I think part of it too. I think Yudoka is just being he's being himself in a way. I think for whatever reason he feels freedom to do that where most people don't. But I think the way he's talking and acting is pretty much how all of the coaches talk and act like behind closed doors, <laughs> you know, where they're not on the floor and on the floor, they all kind of like, I mean, they've all seen sports psychologists, right? I think that's really impacted sports in a way that we don't really fully understand where like the, the best practice is just to totally focus on yourself, put all your energy in yourself, get rid of distractions. I mean, you know, counselor D you can correct me here, but I, I kind of wonder sometimes if a lot of this is like, you know, you're, you're not supposed to engage like that because it gets in the way of like performance and, and focusing on what you're doing. Um, but I think that sort of like, like do a lot of coaches think LeBron's a crybaby and he whines and cries for every call. And like, he gets tons of calls because of that in a team with like a bunch of young guys or instead of veterans without much cachet are going to get less calls and is like pissed off about that. I'm sure. Every coach feels that way about him. Um, but the willingness to like, bring it up in that sort of way um yeah i mean it's either a lack of it's just an interesting dynamic and i, and I do wonder i mean there's just a, there's just not that many coaches who are like you know former former players really right i mean even like a lot of like the the black coaches in the league are like you know they're either like they came up as a coach or they're like you know like a lot of coaches in the nba they're like you know kind of um you know they're nepo babies coming out like a lot of other people in the league. So I, I just wonder if part of it's that and that Yudoka, like he had to scratch and claw to get where he what he is like. And I think once you get to that point, you don't really turn it off. And I also, I mean, I, I maybe the last point I'll make and then hand it back over to you guys is that, you know, Michael, and I have talked about it a few times, but years ago he came and visited me and we went and played basketball, enjoyed a game at like this health club in my, in my community and in Maryland. And, this guy, Dave Randerpool, we found out that it was him, identified him, and he's an assistant for the Blazers and Lillard, and he's bounced around the league different ways. And he played, and the guy was like, 
incredible but also completely arrogant <laughs> like completely <laughs> like i mean he was like in his mid 40s probably then early mid 40s but like totally arrogant totally cocky like you know just kind of like like kind of like um i don't know if he's even talking trash because he's better than everyone, but kind of like had that edge and you're like yudoka has that edge like how did he get where he was how did he go to like eventually ended up at psu when they just restarted their basketball program you know oh, yeah. came up had like you know I think his his dad was an immigrant. Like he didn't have, you know, it's like, I mean, I kind of always made a joke when I saw it, like he came out of the tough streets of Portland, but he actually did. And there are tough streets in Portland, Seattle, other cities. And he definitely came up in that. And I think there's an interesting um, dynamic there. I mean, the very last point, it's just such a fascinating situation. And it's like, it is interesting that that word that he used that, that um, LeBron like focused on is like it's interesting that that word is like a no-go it's like that's that's the thing you can't say well i think it's like i i think i don't know if it's just like definitely for lebron but even like darvin ham i think referenced it later on like that was interesting that that word i just didn't know that that was like the word you know i i I mean jalen rose jalen rose has used that word on the court we know in the past uh (laughs) it's a pretty pretty common word to use if you're trash talking uh other (laughs) other players or fans so I, I i that was news to me that that's like the you do, do not cry whoa 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 whoa! easy yeah. easy you know uh, <laughs> you threw me off i i almost forgot about the time jalen rose went after my mother second, yeah. um well but when when i joked about how you know yudoka was saying stuff that only draymond has said to lebron that's why I was referencing that because yep. if you recall, he, that's what Draymond said to LeBron, and it, he yeah. had the same reaction. Yeah, at the time. Oh, so it, yes, it was yes. Like you cross, he... you cross the line here. Yeah. So Draymond may be on the side that does not think that that word should be out of play, but uh, um, Draymond doesn't think from... a lot. Draymond doesn't think a lot of things are out of play. I was going to so. say, far be it from for Draymond to uh, be within the boundaries of things, but. Uh, it is interesting. I mean, I think that's the uh, a lot of these franchises. I think are in these interesting positions, and you know, like we always like like we always like to say. I mean, a lot of this stuff comes back to ownership, right? I mean, that's the you know, there's I I think of uh, I was reading an article with the Carolina Panthers, David Tepper, you know, who's a big kind of PE guy. He bet on basically like struggling companies that were then recovered. He made you know billions of dollars doing such. And he's, I think he's, he's had six coaches for the Panthers in like five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's these guys just, you know, are, meanwhile, the Mariners are trading promising young talent and salary dumps. I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck with what you got. And I think that's, you're going to wonder, it, it, you wonder how much that can be overcome. And then you have a year like this with, you know, franchises that have traditionally been down are, are, you know, on the up and up. Right. I mean, I think that's like a kind of a fascinating dynamic in play. Um, I mean, even a, a night like tonight, right. You have the end season tournament, you're in the quarterfinals, you, you have, you're watching the Kings and the Pelicans. Right. And then you watch the Indiana Pacers beat the Boston Celtics, you oh, know, cool. to, you know, a, a, a collection of teams that have had their fair share of struggles outside of the Celtics here over the last decade, you know, are all in these, you know, I think those three those three teams all in the kind of the up and up and and have a lot of fun that come along with them, right? I mean, they're you know to varying degrees whether they're truly championship contenders or not. They're certainly kind of in the mix and and they're a lot of fun. Um, so it's, I think that's the 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 struggle there of that dynamic of how these teams can kind of overcome some of the the iniquities around ownership. And I mean, Vivek Renadiva at one point, the owner of the Kings, his suggestion was that his strategy was to play four on five on defense to get uh, more fast breaks. So it it worked when he coached his daughter's AU team and he got, he got in one of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's books. Of course, that must be (laughs) the answer. I mean, yeah, it's a great point that there are owners as well. And I, and I do wonder if a little bit of this is like the personality of the owner and kind of their business background. Cause like, yeah, you have like a hedge fund guy, like the Panthers owner, the Mets owner. And they're like, they're used to be able to like, Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this investment. I'm in this, this part of this company I bought, I'm out of it in five seconds. You know, <laughs> It's just like, I can just bob and weave and do whatever I want. And 
Um, and you know, and then there's like guys like Gores who buy and sell companies, and it's like, okay, like they have to put a management and team in place, they have to do certain things, but it's still a lot of like it's very transactional. And I and I and I and I wonder if and I think Lake Up's the only one. Well, I think that the Boston guys are, I think, are VC guys too. I wonder if like the v- venture capitalist is like more of the right personality, like the modern venture capitalist is for a sports owner. Now, um, um, you know, we know Lake Up had Steph, so it's kind of that's the caveat with all of that. But it's interesting that both of those, um, particularly Boston, right, with either Ainge and Stevens, they've really like let them run the team. They've picked people there's continuity maybe to a, a like a negative effect where like stevens has so much influence he can get joe missoula and just make him the coach and build the team around him and it's not like sort of as much creative tension potentially but it's like first danny ainge who um you know that was their first leader and now stevens and it's like everything flows from there and it's like very long term and they can make moves for the long term and even with the lake ups you don't see them like like it does feel like like Dunleavy and Myers do get at least how it's presented. They get a lot of rope in terms of the decisions they're making and what they're driving. And they're not like swinging wildly back and forth. And it's also like, they're not, everyone's on the same page and they're going the same direction. And you would never see like Wick Grosbeck and the Celtics or, or Lake they would never like hire a really high profile coach to work under or with depending on the structure is a embattled GM who, you know, absent that move could very well have been looking for a job this year as well. Like Troy Weaver has, has missed on a lot of things and, you know, and, and Williams obviously taking a certain approach with his team, but at the same time, it's, it is a talent issue. Like I think you guys have, have joked and noted. Um, so I just, but I do wonder if like, Venture capitalists, they have 10 years. They make their investors sign up for 10 years. And they like, um, and that's like where they have to give a return by, but it's 10 years and the money's locked up and they have it. And it's not, they can't go back and pull it out. Like if you invest in a hedge fund, you can go pull your money out. I mean, they've tried to like restrict that. And it's unfortunate a lot of the venture guys are having trouble now because the, the market's been so bad the last few years in venture that they're going to have to figure out around it, but also they're so like entrepreneurial focused. They're so founder focused that they're like, my job is to make like either the star player or the coach, the general manager successful. And I'm really going to support them in that. I think that's the right, I think that's the right model. And I I think some of the other guys who have tons of money, they have different strengths and they made their money different ways and they don't translate. And it's like, I'm going to hire Frank Reich and I'm going to, um, I'm going to authorize like this trade. We're going to trade our first pick next year and other stuff to get, to go up a few spots to get a quarterback this year. It's just like process. No, we don't know which quarterback we want, but we'll yeah. decide. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, that worked out great for the Niners too. It's like, if you're going to trade for a quarterback, people have said, I said, like, you know, you're going to pick. It's a great point. But it's like, again, it's like process, not results. Like focus on the process, like LA Dodgers, you know, Oklahoma City, Boston, Golden State. I mean, Golden State gets kind of a free pass of stuff. But I think a lot of it is like we're focusing on doing it, going the same direction. And that stuff matters in the long run. And I think um, you can't just throw a Band-Aid on that. I think Houston's trying to do that, right? They've been a mess. Their owner's a mess. Like, um, Raphael Stone's made some really good choices since then, like the Singun pick especially. Um, we'll see how the rest of it plays out. So maybe that's a kind of the exception that proves the rule but yeah it's a really interesting time in the league for these teams well i'll tell you which organization is doing it right with the head coaches i think the pittsburgh steelers have had three yeah. head coaches in the last like 75 years. yeah it's incredible <laughs> go from noel the coward to tomlin it's yeah i mean and they're all and it's funny like you get benefit from that i mean some of it the continuity like it Sometimes it counter, it's counterproductive, like keeping Matt Canada as your coordinator for like a third season when it was clear at least last year that, you know, he struggled and their offense struggled and there were other play callers that would be better than him. And it was like, no, we'll just keep it, keep it humming. Um, but before we transition on, I got to say, D, like 
lay of the league. So great having you back, having it back. And, um, but I think I'm a little rusty with it because I didn't even fully get Michael. I'm sure got it, but I didn't fully get the Draymond reference, but you like <laughs> absolutely nailed it. I had forgotten that. I'm like going back. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was it. That's what turned the title. Like that's what got LeBron his title was that he yes. gets offended by that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh my yeah, gosh! No, you got to try to pull in everything you can when you're doing this. You was Yudoka? You think Yudoka? Was Yudoka but... like? Does he know that's the trigger word? Did he like? Was this kind of like? Don't call me Chris again. And it's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Yudoka just knew exactly. I mean, that would be amazing if Yudoka was like, "I know LeBron hates being called this, so I'm going to do it." It's like, oh man, <laughs> that's diabolical. But yeah, D, great to have you I, back. Well, I am actually curious. Great writing. The whole your cheers to your writing team that put together that monologue. It's well, great. Let me I am curious that like the when I, I led with the whole thing about the in-season tournament and Michael, you referenced this, but I'm a little bit curious. So as I said, you know, like the top three teams in the West didn't make the quarterfinals. Are we are you looking at that as like, oh, this is a positive thing because we're seeing these these upsets? It's like in the NCAA tournament when a number seed number one seed gets knocked out or whatever. Like, is that is that part of the excitement? Or is it like, no, we want to see like the best teams that are have a little extra incentive to play for something. So I'm not really sure what the general consensus was. Cause to give you my the, the deeper film that I had about the in-season tournament, which is that I did not think that this was going to be anything at all, obviously it's created a lot of buzz and people are speaking really positively about it. And everyone's like, well, any variation that brings a little extra excitement is a good thing for me. Like I'm the person, I just like to go to the same restaurant get the same order, the same meal every time I don't need the variation. And I thought maybe, maybe more fans were like that, like me, or you know, I guess the traditionalist, or or the people that like like their variety. So, <laughs> I, so I I'm still not like that excited about who's going to win this thing. But I am I I do think it's cool that there's extra buzz. But I'm curious what you guys think of of this whole thing. Yeah, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I I think it's been incredible. Um, I will say the thing that shocked me the most is the level of intensity. I think I was skeptical that the players would buy into it. And the only thing I can literally chalk it up to is that 500,000 bucks a guy is still a lot of money for people. Like, I I mean, the, the fact of the matter is I don't think, you know, some little trophy in December is going to move the needle for these guys. But I do think, you know, the money seemingly is is creating an atmosphere and an environment for these guys to really play hard. I mean, the you know, it, I think the first couple games in the end season tournament, it seems like guys are kind of feeling it out, but you know, those last couple games that were in group play where people are trying to figure out margin of victory and tiebreakers, you know, I mean, the, the, the Warriors ended up losing to the Kings, but they came out like a bat out of hell when they had to win by, I think 24 to get in to win their bracket. And I mean, they got up by like 25 in that game and, and they were ripping and then ultimately melted down. But you know, it's like you see some level of of intensity that I don't think we traditionally see, especially in like November and December basketball. So I think that that element here um, is really fun to see see that level of competitiveness. I mean, you saw it in the games tonight. I mean, the the Kings Pelicans game was like a track meet, just up and down. There was, and not in like a sloppy way, but in like a we're kind of we're pulling out all the stops right now. Um, so that's been a, a, I think a breath of fresh air, um, and, you know, to the dynamic of like, who's in the quarterfinals, you know, I, I think to me, I, I think the mix up is really fun. I mean, you get to see these matchups and these sort of do or die games that have that March madness element. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, the playoffs are who are for the best teams. I mean, kind of said and done seven game series are not you know, prone to upsets, right? They're not prone to uncertainty. Um, but what, what they're prone to is really good basketball and a really fun sort of experience to watch the best of the best go at it. Uh, whereas, you know, this environment lends itself to a bit more chaos in this, this single game format. And, you know, you get a, you get a game where, you know, Tyrese Halliburton kind of shoots 75% and just totally controls the game. And all of a sudden, you know, 
Boston goes down, right? Whereas if they play a seven game series, I mean, is it, is it four one, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, the kind of, that's the reality, but turns out that one was at the right time. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun in that element. And then I think the last thing is it's, it's what it can give us is an insight into maybe where these teams are headed. I mean, right. The standings are the standings, right? So, you know, they are what they are through 15 or 20 games, but we, we don't, there's, there's 60 more to go. Right. So there's, you know, we don't know where the Pacers are going to end up. Are they going to kind of like run out of gas and fall off? Or are they going to, is this going to be a bit of a kind of ignition into where they end up being sort of in that like lower tier of the Eastern conference playoffs, maybe above the plan, but obviously not in the, in the mix and the kind of upper seeds, um, you know, they don't have a real shot to go past maybe the second round, but you know, they, they, this could kind of be a launching point. So I, I think in that dynamic, I think all around it's worked out really well. I was, I will raise my hand just being wrong about it. I was incredibly skeptical of it when they launched, when they rolled it out, but you know, it is the the court thing you mentioned in, in your intro, it did crack me up because at first I was like, what is going on with these courts? Uh, but it, it actually does have a really unique effect that when you flip on a game with one yeah. of these weird courts, you know exactly what it is. You see a highlight. Oh, oh, in tournament. I got, oh, wait. Oh, let's see what's going exactly. on here. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it's been really fun. And I, and again, the level of intensity to me is the most refreshing thing. I just I've had a I've had a, I've watched a lot of fun games where guys are going for it, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. I was yeah. actually serious about the eye strain. I, I, I my my eyesight is declining. I, I need to get reading glasses. I, I'm losing my uh, short the vision of things right in front of me. So. Well, as long as you don't look at an eclipse, you'll be fine. I think yeah. I might have done that. There was the big eclipse years ago in DC, and I was like, I could just take a quick. Oh my god, it's still twenty twenty, but uh, we'll see, man. But I feel you; it's definitely straining. Um, well, for me, the most, um, the biggest caveat to to a person who loves the NBA—it's their favorite sport or I should say the, the, the hardest part about loving the NBA is the caveat that it is the greatest sport when the players care. And that's, <laughs> and that's always like the hard part. Cause it's like the, the football fans, which I'm a football fan too, or the NFL is like every, everybody's out there and you know, they're competing every game. You would never even have to ask that question. Um, and so for me getting in the increased competition and the passion, the intensity, um is awesome and so that's the part for me that matters the most because it's like what, what michael's saying so i think just seeing parts of the indiana game tonight where it's like like when they're closing it out at the end like the bench is going nuts like they're like chopping up and down into i think someone pointed out like if you have a lot of minimum salary guys in your team which a lot of teams do and more will as this like with the new uh rules and the salary cap coming in like you know, 500 grand gross on top of like a $2 million salary is like a lot. I mean, it's a lot of money yeah. for I mean, it's a ton of money for any of us, but it's like, like, even for someone like that, that's a significant amount of money. Like that matters. Uh, and I think too, just the, like the appeal of Vegas, I feel like, Oh, it's going to like the final four in Vegas. Like anyone that's been there in the summer for summer league just knows the whole, whole league goes there and likes to go there. And so, like you see, you hear all these podcasts, people are hosting that, that during that time, um, during the semifinals in Vegas and just feel like that is such an attraction to people. So, um, so I, yeah, I think just the, like people wanting to compete and wanting to win. And I, and I, and that's why this whole, like the, the speaking of coaches, the whole dynamic with the coaches who were miffed that people were trying to like run up the score and, and do more. And it's like, I just don't understand, like keep competing. Like it doesn't like it doesn't like I I've never I've never been one to think people shouldn't run up the score, like in in like high level competitive sports professional I mean like college football even like these just like these people are like doing this as their life like this is like competitive like this is not yes you shouldn't be doing this at the high school level definitely not lower than that you should have rules and mitigation for these type of things but if there's a way to win it's like like go for it. And the fact that the Celtics were really trying and wanted to get the quarterfinal spot and cared about it was great. And it's like, you know, and if you have like Billy Donovan, like getting cranky and doing <laughs> the best Popovich or, you know, Steve Kerr sort of 
flummoxed about the whole situation. It's like, I wish he could curve the game when they lost the Kings. Be like, yeah, we wanted to win. Everyone wanted to win by 12 points to make the quarterfinals. Like, we were trying to do that. It's like, that's great. Like, it's just like they're all like trying to pay, play like three dimensional chess with it. It's like, no, this is good. Competing is good. The more opportunities, the more motivations we can give players, the better. And I, for my, my question is like, how do you do more of this? How do you like the fact? I think this is the under, and I think Simmons has pointed this out. And it's like, I think the, the part that I didn't fully see or grasp was that the how much the players would care about it, and I and obviously I don't know if the players care about it or not. Like you know, they don't care. What, like how can we find a way for the players to care about the All Star Game? Um, a, a bigger task than than this, obviously. Yeah, but it's like, but it's like, um, it's just been a different tenor this year, and I, and I wonder if the East East End season tournament helped with that too. Just like you know, there hasn't been at least like. Uh, just qualitatively as i've observed it like as much resting going on or as much games that have been ruined by people not playing and like some of like women yama just missed his first game and i thought he would be on like a minutes restriction all year like it's just kind of been like trending the right way and and, and, I, and i and i do think i mean my last point is that we, we have to just accept that you know the the model for this is soccer right like this the model is soccer and when you have you have like in like high level European soccer, professional soccer, you have like a couple things going on. One is you're going to have a good amount of injuries. Like there's guys in and out of the lineup all the time because like soccer in, I mean, it, it puts an incredible amount of strain on your body, similar to the NBA in some ways, different types of ways, but it's like people are in and out. And then you have these like parallel seasons going on. You have different tournaments that are participated in. You have different, like league games and like there's different sort of priorities based on the type of competition it is. And like, even the best club may not play all their best players in this all every game. They may say, okay, we're going to play some of our second string players on this team and give them a rest and do that and do this. And I think that's where they're going. And one of the coolest things about like um, soccer in Europe is that when you have these certain um, and I think you see it more in like the domestic cups, like the tournaments they have there. It's like, it's not the always, I mean, usually the best, one of the best um, teams wins the cup in the end, but there's usually like the fourth division team that made the quarterfinals and the second division team that made a run. And it's like the lower level premier league guys made the final. And it's like, it's not always the best teams, like the best four teams in the UK don't make the FA cup semis every year. You know, it's like, and um because maybe they have different goals and different visions in place so i think for me it's just sort of embracing that part of it and i think if it, it, it is leading to more competition and more desire to win it's amazing and again i think we should change the draft picks scenario i think we should whatever we can do to get everyone to try their best to win every day like that's and it, again, it, and it may be they have to like rest people and they do things like whatever they have to decide what they want to do. But like anything we can do to make people want to win and embrace that competitive fire. And you see it like Halliburton, right? You see the way he's like, he wants to win. He's like vulnerable about it. Like he's not trying to be too cool for school. He's like, I don't want to lose. Keep, I don't want to be a loser. I don't want to keep losing. I want to win. And it's like, wow. And that's the part I think that like Michael's referring to is like, it's like you start seeing like, not only teams, but individual players. And you're like, Ooh, like in the kind of competitive moments, this guy's like the heart of the champions coming out. And yeah. I, um, so that's exciting for me to see too. Well, I, I do have a follow-up question then to this. Those are, those are great takes. I just want to uh, read Halliburton's numbers over the last two weeks. He's averaging <laughs> almost 35 points a game, almost six, three pointers a game shooting, yeah, that's the part that's crazy. Almost 54%. Oh, my gosh. 12 assists over a steal a game, <laughs> over well, half a block a game, only three turnovers a game. I mean, it's uh, it's phenomenal numbers. Uh, those aren't even as good as the numbers in the last week. But I mean, I'm giving a little – like two weeks is a decent – No, totally. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a handful of games. But, um, but no, my follow-up question is then – we're only a quarter of the way through the NBA season. Are we going to have a big letdown when this mm. is over? Like, is there going to be, was the timing, could the timing of this been better or was it just good that doing it early in the season, get the buzz going, 
we ride the ride the momentum. Do we have to create a second in season tournament? Ooh, ooh, ooh! I like it. I like it. I don't know. Why. David Stern think? Cup. What do you think? No, I I think you know I think the turn in the punch bowl for the NBA was that the season always unofficially started at Christmas, right? I mean, you kind of got through um, the NFL, you got through college football. You sort of all you have is the playoffs left, right? So like it's not dominating life from an eyeballs perspective. And people start to shift their interest to the NBA at that point. And and at that, and I think the interesting thing is, is like I'm not I'm not really concerned with the letdown because I think the parity that exists in the addition of the plan tournament yeah. um is such that these teams can't mess around. I mean, I, I yeah. think you know the, the, there's enough teams that are muddled between four and ten or eleven in each yeah. of these conferences that if if they kind of mess around and get cute and let their foot off the gas, I mean, they're going to be staring at a playing game that is no fun. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's the, the, the circumstance that a lot of these teams are going to find themselves in. And it's, it's the time is sort of now, right. Whereas you can kind of feel things out for 20 games and then kind of figure it out from there. Um, and so I, I actually think it is the perfect time for the playing tournament to sort of play that role in igniting the season and then kind of transitioning into sort of more the 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 where the stakes start to get kind of get higher and higher. Yeah, no, I I um I agree. And I think um I mean I'm all for you know updating it, tweaking it, changing it, expanding it. I think to Michael's point is earlier is that things started to get really crazy and people really got fully engaged when it got down to like the last game or two where it started to really, you saw the consequences of like winning or losing or your point differential. And it was like <laughs> the, the really complicated calculus from when the thing started and none of us could, I couldn't figure out how it worked exactly to like, if we win this game by eight points, we go to the play in. And if we don't, we're out. <laughs> it's like, okay. So, you know, you don't want to delay that out too far. Um, it's kind of like uh, what did John Cusack say at the end of High Fidelity? Like a perfect, uh, perfect mixtape for for you youngsters, Michael. Mixtape. Oh wait, you made me some mix CDs back in the day. There were some great ones actually. Thank you. <laughs> um, so that's that's the commonality we have. This is great. We're bringing people together. But it's like you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to go too hot too fast. You want to bring it down a little bit, you know, and then keep it going. So I think they're they're on the right track with that. Um, I did just you talk about Halliburton. I mean his pull up three like that is like such a difference maker for him that he's able to like show penetration come off a screen step back crossover and go right into that three-pointer it is like killer and i'll give our guy nate jones credit he he talks about that now of course it's in a campaign to nag joe cronin to the end of time for picking scooters as the number two pick in the draft but he does continually point out how important that shot is to like um, the pull of three is the most important shot for a scoring guard. Um, and the fact that Halliburton's out add, of that to his distribution is incredible. And also, speaking of guys that can change things as a coach, Rick Carlisle's on that list, man, especially when it comes to the offense side of the, of the game. I mean, the fact that he went there, um, obviously the trade for Halliburton, he's the straw that stirs the drink. But um, you know, Carlisle, you know, he barista that drink to a good spot. And it's... Um, He's he's got the offense humming. I mean, they're playing fast, but they're playing efficient basketball. They're the most efficient um, offensive team in the league. It's incredible. Well, you know, Carlisle has a, a ring to back it up, so maybe that's part of the wisdom for the Detroit Pistons brass is that when you're looking for the saver, find a guy that already has a ring. I already won it. That is, yeah. has won a title. Well, and I, I do think, like, I mean, I think it's, like, like – Monty doesn't have the horses really though. Right. I mean, he's not right. like handling it in the right. I don't think he's like thinking long-term like I love like Monty's amazing. Like he's an accountability person. He's like, mm -hmm. you gotta do it this way and you do it the right way. And if you don't, you're going to sit or you're going to lose minutes or lose things. So I, I totally respect that approach. It's just not the most effective approach when you're trying to develop young talent in the NBA. And, um, but they're, they're not that, I mean, None of those guys have really um, have shown a lot. I mean, even Cunningham, who missed all of last year, so he's still relatively early. Like, he's not an efficient basketball player. Now, 
when you have like three or four centers on the court at the same time and a bunch of like wings, two guards that can't shoot, like it's not, it's not the most expertly assembled team by Troy Weaver, of course. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like he's, he's, he's not really, he's taking some stuff away with, with subtracting from what he's adding. And it's just, it's not, it's not a lot there. And so I think that's where it's like, and then that's why I don't understand what Williams was thinking exactly. I mean, the money was so great, right? You had to do it, but it's like, it's just, it's just a tough situation. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Speaking it, of, it, well, it does seem like if he was going into the situation without money being something that's being highlighted because he's, he's the highest paid coach in NBA history. That if you, if you take that aside, it seems like there is some appeal to that job where there's nowhere to go but up. Um, I think that's an interesting point about Cunningham because I was thinking, like, that's actually a pretty good young trio. I mean, they, they hired him at, before, you know, uh, Osser Thompson. Is it Osser? Os- yeah. I said it correctly yeah. earlier. Yeah. But no, I can't say. But anyway, yeah. like, and in, in Duran, the center looks like. Oh, it's incredible. Potential there. He nailed that. Yeah. And, and Osser looks really good. Um, so I hear your point, but it's like, I mean, you saw why Tim Connolly went to Minnesota because they have Edwards. Like you, you, hmm. like yeah, like the problem is Cunningham. Like the problem is that maybe I'm reading too much of Twitter these days, too much Dean on draft Twitter, but like because he can't stand Cunningham. But like if you look at that draft going back, I mean, it's not like a Kamingo over Franz situation, but it's definitely like, oh man, <laughs> like that was a really good draft. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Maybe got the yeah, short of the point. stick on that one. And it's like, yeah. oof. You don't get many chances like that. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. That's a good point. Hit hit your wagon to a star is what you got to do if you're gonna if you're gonna really turn it into something. Well, and that's the comparison. I mean, even Halliburton and Cunningham, I think, are a fascinating comparison. It's like what's I mean, Cunningham kind of has all the juice you would think, but he he can't shoot and Halliburton Halliburton has turned into a sniper, a guy who it was a liability for him coming into the league. No one thought, no one was sure if he was, his his mechanics would translate to the and he's totally figured it out. I mean, I think that's the, I mean, neither of them are like Russell Westbrook jumping off the page, but they both have yeah. sort of the juice. You know, they, they're both sort of relatively low free throw guys for ball dominant players, right? They, they, you know, they can kind of, handle the ball and, and kind of be those, the, the kind of Helios, they could play that heliocentric game. It's just the problem is kid can't shoot. Right. And so that's the, that's going to be the curious thing over his trajectory and the shin thing really screws that up. Right. You wonder if, if, if he's come along a bit more, yeah. if, if the shin doesn't happen, whereas Halliburton has been able to just play and play and play, whether it was in Sacramento or now Indiana, um, so it's it is curious. I mean, Andy Bailey is a guy who who does a lot of player comparisons. He he's like kind of he hasn't said it outright, but he's sort of getting at that like Halliburton is like the closest thing we've seen to Curry in the new era. Oh like, wow! Like the way he handles the ball and can kind of distribute, but also like still really shoot it. I mean, obviously, I think it's a stretch. Like no one's Curry, uh, but it is certainly. Like there's some elements there that you can kind of see where that's interesting actually. Cause it's like the underrated part of Curry is the passing. Everyone just criticizes the like turnovers. Again, I, I can't repeat this enough. Like they're choosing to play a style. Steve Kirk has chosen to play a style that increases turnovers. Like you can't take the sour with the sweet, Steve. If you're going to like have the ball in much people's hands and not do what the most efficient, like analytical approaches was get the ball in your best player's hands all the time and let them like make one or two passes out of that double team, whatever they see and go from there and let them play rhythm basketball. If you're going to like play the beautiful game, you're going to face some counterattacks. It's like what happens, you know, and some teams will wait, sit back and then you'll ticky tack it around and they'll steal it, go down for a goal and, and a counterattack. And just like, they're going to turn them over and don't get me wrong. Steph and Draymond have some crazy turnovers, but it's just like, um, but I really like, I see it actually, when you say it, I would never have thought of it otherwise, but now you bring that up, that, that comment from the observer, the writer, it's like, oh my gosh. Cause it's like the, it's the, it's the, like, like Curry always did the shooting into the passing, but he's an amazing passer, very underrated. And I feel like 
him in the flow of the game where he can like distribute and can shoot. Um, yeah, that's terrifying. Speaking of the underrated aspects of his game, um, I always thought he was, you know, was impressed with his ability to finish around the basket. I thought that was underrated, but um, I heard Doc Rivers put it this way. I thought it was interesting. He said, Curry kills you with twos. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? No, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was like, that was an interesting comment because uh, um, like, I, I I don't know exactly how to, how to break that down, but um I think it's like everybody is over preparing for the three pointer and, and Curry like creates high percentage shots by going to the basket. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but 100%. he's like, really he's... good finisher. Like I, I was even watching uh, some of the clip they played the Clippers twice, but um, my opponent in fantasy basketball had Curry. So I was pulling for him to miss everything, but he was getting in the lane. At least was... you weren't pulling for him to get injured. That's that's oh, where yeah, it goes well, a little that's bit. A whole, that's uh, that's when you know you need to. Into the season, you never know. Basketball. That's when you've we've gone too far. D. Love, uh, why are you cheering about Trevor Lawrence tearing his Achilles? Oh, <laughs> oh, sorry, he's on the opposing <laughs> team next week. That's when you need to reflect on other things in your life that would lead yes, you to yes. <laughs> uh, booing or being happy when someone gets injured. But, um, <laughs> but though there was plays where. He would take it into Zubak or a, a center, and it looked like he was going to get stuffed. And yeah. he, but I mean, he's he's a lot stronger now too, so yep. he's even better. Um, but even early on, his ability to just maneuver around the basket, I thought was pretty impressive. But uh, they were not. I mean, every once in a while, someone blocks a shot, but it's uh, it's rare. Oh yeah, the fact that he can shoot fifty forty nine. I mean, with that many threes, it's just to shoot fifty percent is like you have to hit I me mean, just the math right you have to like you have to yeah. hit a lot of twos at a very high percentage to make that work yeah. um and I, it was funny like uh josiah was asking me tonight when we were driving him back from practice or two practice he was just saying hey did, when was steph's best year and i was like i mean i think it's like his mvp seasons but it's like but then i was like it might be now honestly because if just thinking about the way people defended him then versus now when it's just like, I mean, he was great already, but like when that first championship season, it just came, it just came out like, bam, you know? And like, people did not know what to do now, seven years later, like everyone knows what to do. Like they all like hedge, they have, it doesn't work. Like he's still as destroyer of, of defenses, but it's not like he's just, it's just interesting to think about like, if, if if you could pull forward the defensive strategies seven years ago, how it would be impacted. But all to say, it's incredible, like at his level, and the fact that Halliburton that I hear that, and I'm not like whatever, completely is just like, I mean, yeah, it's just so cool. And you read those stats, I and mean, those are Steph stats. To go yeah. 35, 54 percent shooting as a point guard, and have I mean, he had a, he had a double double in the second half tonight. He had yeah. like 19 and 11, and they're playing fast, but it's still like incredibly efficient basketball. I mean, what do you I mean? I know it's like the, one of the great what ifs, but I mean, are we in a Bob Knight RIP where you kind of are like, hey, keep Halliburton, play him at center sort of situation here? I mean, like, <laughs> what would Fox and Halliburton be like right now together? Would that be just like, I mean, they're, they're, are they the best two? I mean, this is going mean, to, I'm trying to, I mean, obviously they're Steph, right? But like, where do they rank in terms of best guards? Are they like, um, real quickly before you yeah, do yeah. that? You, yeah, you buried the lead there, which was yeah. that your son asked you just a brilliant question. So I just yes. want to recognize that. that oh, was, thank you. You've trained him well. That he's was... still he's still asking. He's kind of like I think he's I think the dream is dead for him, but he still wants to be a, a, a he wants to be the first uh, fill in host on the three uh, and D love. He's he's asked. That's his Spring Christmas. <laughs> that's his Christmas wish. Now, I think he's 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 realized um, sort of like others in the past who may have hoped they'd be brought on because they had. <laughs> They had maybe one uh, and promised some different things for their contributions to the pod, but we've kept it kept it lean so far. This is how we've gotten to this point. Just tremendous think, success. So, guys, we he, may need to lower our standards that you don't have to have written a book to come on our pod. We can, <laughs> we can bring you on, talk about whatever you want. Uh, Everyone has something to this, add. This, this weekend, we went over to uh, one of. Jen. Carrie Eggers, Carrie Eggers' house. <laughs> <laughs> One of uh, Jen's 
closest friends lives on the east side of Portland. Uh, her best friend's son, who is now a high school senior, he has listened to our podcast a few times. Hey, they uh, they spent a few years in Boston, so he is a diehard oh. Boston Celtics fan. Wow, uh, Logan, if you're listening, uh, this is the plug for you. I, 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 he wants to come on talk about the Celtics. I asked if if there was a fee we had to pay. He said no. I said that's good because we don't have a budget. For the fee, so. <laughs> Just saying, we may need to open it up a little bit. I love it. I love it. We could have uh, it'd be like the future game of the three and D love. We'll have uh, we'll have all the youngsters on, man, to really show us how it's done. (laughs) Sorry, but I digress. Uh, Halliburton Fox. Oh no, I mean it's just like a fun thing to think about. But they're both so incredible. It's just like, oh man, oh. Well, and that's the. I mean, that and that's the tricky thing with that trade is is it. In hindsight, is such a heist, right? If Halliburton turns into or continues to evolve into what maybe he could become, and simultaneously, you know, Fox was being discussed as sort of an overpaid, like he was on a like on the rookie match. No, it was like, oh, we can't trade Fox, so I guess they have to give up Halliburton to get Sabonis. It was like, oh man, <laughs> and then he's turned insane. into this guy who's like, I mean, they're both. I mean, I, I think to your question, I mean, I think they're probably, I mean, they're like they're they're top ten guards certainly. I mean, they I mean, probably ha- could both be all NBA this year, right? Maybe thirty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Halliburton. How, if Halliburton plays this way the rest of the year, I mean, he's going to be like this year's Shea. But Fox right? has been credible too, though. I guess yeah. you got they're they're Shea and Curry, but they're probably the next tier, right? I mean, it's like yeah. Well, what's the well, and Booker? Don't forget Booker. Oh man, yeah, there's an yeah. embarrassment of riches. Sorry, sorry. Oh, well, Devin, just don't take it. The whole that's like in like... Simmons's pod where he's like, "Oh, he's definitely in the top 12. and you're like, "Well, let's list them because I'm not sure he's in the top twelve. <laughs> yeah. You got to play it out. Well, so I'm trying to think of uh, what would be the parallel that their style of play, a backcourt together. Like uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Isaiah Dumars, but uh, that's I what I thought probably about a too. Better, more recent one. Uh, well, they'd be like the, I mean, I think they'd be, I think that's the example I think of. Although it's like, who's who? It's almost like, yeah, who would there be like like that? I, I just, it'd be the first team that, that could go your turn, my turn, and it'd be like the greatest scoring offense in the history of the right. league. <laughs> like it wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, whoever second sided at the pick and roll would just have the basically average like a 1.8 point efficiency. Um, for possession hey, so it's I mean, just you had the, yeah like the dynamic one of the best best backcourts of all time obviously is curry and thompson but they were very different yeah in their, in their style well no that's a great question like would there and then that's probably what they were thinking is like well this just doesn't have a there's only one ball but it's just and it's hard with Sabonis because it's just like yeah i mean they had such an incredible run last year and they're right back in it this year but it's just Man, yeah, when someone's as good as Halliburton, when you're ta- given curry curry comps, it's like, ooh. The the uh, Hawks are trying to do like a poor man's version of that with Trey Young and uh, Murray, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's I one know. of your teams, right? <laughs> I know. My superlatives, man. I'm just glad we didn't do predictions. Just, man, I'd be... It's yeah. like what, over what time we'll forget. Was that was that your Steve Blake pick or Quintel Woods? Oh, I'm not sure. Let's just move on, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man, I was trying to think of the comp for Trey Young and Dejounte Murray. So I was I don't uh, I, was, I was grasping at straws. It's Donovan Mitchell and, and Garland. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> not, not working out great for either of them. <laughs> Well, it turns out when you, the guy who's supposed to be the superstar on your team basically messages that he doesn't really want to be there, that might be bad for chemistry. Yeah, exactly. Really. But also a guy who's your best player who isn't like that's the thing about the Halliburton piece that's so special. And Fox has this too, right? He has the competitive spirit. He has that kind of Kentucky guard part of him. But it's like the fact that Halliburton like wants to pass to people and wants to set them up. And it's still scoring like this is like obviously the and that's the thing about Curry that it's I think it's underrated is he he has that that's in him to do that and it's just like Jokic and LeBron Halliburton so good times just fun to see people competitive we got coaches cursing out the second greatest player of all time <laughs> we've got uh, the bench storming the storming the court after winning a a. <laughs> 
Monday night game in uh, in December. The Huskies beat the Ducks three times in thirteen months. It's a man. Things are looking cut, up. Hold cut, on, I I I have held off from getting into the football thing, Ryan. When you talked about running up the score, I can I can say unequivocally, Dan Lanning supports that strategy. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit. <laughs>